You're listening to Only Here for the Wi-Fi. Hey, hey. Good morning. Episode 92 with Eugene Haslam. Just waiting for a little bit of time for, to pass so that people can filter into the room. Just to tell you a little bit about our guest, uh, a, little, a little bit of an intro. All right. Uh, our guest today is no stranger in terms of um, if you've been around in Ottawa since the 90s. Uh, owner of the legendary Zephod Bibelbrox, a, a pillar for arts and culture in Ottawa for, yeah, like 25 years. Hosting names like the Rolling Stones, Ben Harper, Alanis Morissette, the Proclaimers, and countless other uh, local and international acts. Um, super iconic dude, man. I mean, you would just see Eugene with um, with the dreads and immediately be like, oh, there he is. The home of the themed pan-galactic gargle blaster. I mean, many a night, many a night spent on the dance floor at Zaphod's. And so, yeah, today... You know, we're going to get into it, man. We're going to like go, you know, we're going to reminisce sometimes. We're going to be talking about, you know, how he's basically now like a trip advisor slash, you know, like a photojournalist. I don't even know. What up, Tamara? What up, Surreal? Thank you for tuning in. Hey, hey, hey. Good morning. I see. I see, I see my bald head. <laughs> you know what? I shaved this morning. It's nice and shiny, all greased up. Yeah, ready for for this interview. You you always Eugene, you always be looking like tip top, man. You've always had a very cool look that you rock, and uh, I appreciate you for taking the time to do this. Why? Thank you. Yeah. So oh, this is uh, it's it's fun. This is the first thing I've done in a long, long time since I got out of the industry. So. So uh, I'm a little rusty. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure it's like riding a bike. I mean, you're you're no stranger to the media. Um, you're no uh, you yourself. I didn't know this, but you yourself were um, in radio at one point in time, like a, an announcer. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I, a programmer. I had my own radio show when when I was at university. I just for fun. I. I took a look at the local radio station and it was funny because um, the town uh, townhouse that I lived in, this is in Waterloo, Ontario, um, the townhouse that I lived in, to go to the University of Waterloo, I had to go down a pathway that was beside a farmer's field, a cornfield. And on the left side, I saw this radio station. So I thought I'd drop in and uh, check it out. And I had never done radio. I had always been very interested in music, but I had never done uh, radio. So I popped in and I, I said hi to the station manager. and We hit it off. And uh, I had no technical experience. I had no background in radio. But Dave, I mean, those were the early days of community radio. And Dave right. uh, liked that I was interested and it was the interest that he kind of fostered. And so he taught me how to use stuff. And uh, that was my first foray into radio. But but I, I, I have to tell you this. So remember, I was telling you that uh, to go to the university, there was this uh, cornfield that I had to pass. And so here I am thinking, wow, 
Oh, free corn, free corn all the time. <laughs> so one day right, right. I decided, to, you know where this is going, right? So one day I decided to get a few ears of corn and take it home. And I was all excited, you know, free corn, you know, how local can you get? Right. That, that corn was for the for. Or uh, cattle. It was cattle corn. <laughs> Funny enough, uh, you know, it's it's kind of crazy that uh, that you you mentioned that. Uh, one of the things that I mean, you know, we'll get to it later on down the road. But I, I think that, like in Lebanon, that's what people consume regularly anyway. You know, um, the, to- the 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 corn there is very tough, and um, not like the nice peaches and cream and and the things that we may be used to uh, here in Ottawa in the, in the in around the I summer months. Yeah, I got an idea. I don't know if this will work, but maybe put it in a pressure cooker. You know, your your Instapot. Yeah. Well, a lot of the times, the only time I would ever actually have corn would be like walking on the Corniche in Beirut on, on the, like the, the promenade boardwalk there. And you would have a guy with a big pot boiling of, of, of corn, you know? Um, okay. So they, they didn't roast it or, uh, uh, you know, on a barbecue kind of thing. Cause that is do really both. good. If you, do, if you do it on a barbecue and it's nice and, uh, uh, warm and you put, Slather some fresh butter on it. Oh, yeah. 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 But even still, like it was so tough. It would get stuck in your teeth and you, you, you know, oh, <laughs> my God. But Did they give you two picks with it. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're just like sorted out. You know what I mean? But um, is, is, uh, is radio something that you feel like you might get back into as a hobby? Like, I mean, you're retired now and you have been for, for some time. And I know that you, you still seem to be quite active, you know, with your photography, with your uh, decadent culinary uh, flexes on, on Instagram, just being like, ha hey, you know, exactly. Um, are, are you like, are you busy? Exactly. Are you are you cooking this all on your own as well, or like, come on, man, you must have like a personal chef. Yeah. Are you doing this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I enjoy. I really do enjoy coming up with the. I I rarely follow recipes. I mean, I'll get the the general gist of it, but I will never follow a recipe to a T. You know, I, I just must you know, make it something of mine. Absolutely. Well, again, man, hats off to you. Uh, you know, when you do it, your question about uh, doing radio, um, I suppose in this day and age where you can go live, like you are and so on and so forth, um, it would be easier, but then again, there, there are issues with copyright, etc., and, and, uh, these platforms like Facebook and, uh, social media, uh, platforms, um, will definitely jam you if you're starting to use popular music, uh, as your backgrounds or whatever. So I'm no, actually, I've never really looked into it, but once in a while, I don't know if you noticed, but once in a while I get into a kind of a groove some nights and I just start um, posting YouTube videos. I mean, someone else's video um, because I like that song. And in my mind here 
as I'm doing this, I kind of go, oh, that song, that song, that song. And it's it's overlaid in terms of what I'm listening to, in terms of how it might come out as a radio program. If if someone on the other end was listening to it in the same um live time, but but it is is social media. And so by the time it posts and by the time someone else hears it, mm. there's probably a gap and it doesn't sound like radio. So yeah, well, the, I mean, there's certainly new tools uh, at people's discretion, um, mostly at, at least now, you know, I'm a newcomer to a thing called Clubhouse, which is... Uh, okay, but see, I, I'm an old comer and I know none of this stuff. And even what we're doing right now, this is my first ever performance Appearance, oh, appearance, appearance on Instagram appearance. Live. Appearance. Well, you know, we got to do it up properly. Hey, first ever appearance on Instagram Live. Cool. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I'm super and, pumped, and, man. And look, you've got you've got a really nice kind of cool microphone, just like radio. We used to have these boom mics and stuff. Yeah. It's all, it's all on the thing. Well, you know, your boy's I'm trying to be a podcaster. That's an idea. Yeah. And uh, there are certainly uh, affordable and kind of like, especially because, I mean, look, this is still a hobby. I'm not by any means, um, you know, I haven't figured that out yet. You know, it is something that I need to kind of, after my hundredth episode, I'm going to reevaluate. I haven't figured all of this stuff out. So what I do whether I'm taking photographs or, you know, playing tunes, uh, I just do it in the moment. I, I, I'm living in the moment and enjoying that. Exactly. And um, so, so what, what you're saying about uh, podcasting or DJing, that means I'd have to get organized. A little bit, a little bit. It definitely will, will certainly set you a bar above because you're already someone with such a depth uh, of knowledge, like a, a pool wealth of knowledge and experiences that you could um, in, you know, I mean, it, it certainly has um, worked in the past. You've appeared on panels like, for example, uh, North by Northwest. Um, and, you know, I'm interested to. Uh, by, uh, North by Northeast. Excuse me, North by Northeast, South by Southwest, North by Northeast. Uh, your boy, uh, yeah. <laughs> Research, you can tell. Find the globe and just point and say, okay, that's North by Northeast. Oh no, sorry, that's North by Northwest. North by Northeast. <laughs> we can make up. We can make Central on a Central Zone sort of thing. Yeah. You know that that was fun in uh, in its time and. Um, I've, I've kind of stayed away from, uh, proselytizing and uh, being kind of the guy that used to be involved in music. Uh, I, I just walked away from all of that. Right. Well, I mean, yeah. And you've moved on to more, uh, you know, interesting and, um, you know, things that resonate with you, yeah. whether it's photography, whether things it's food. Yeah. Um, but of course, you know, it, I mean, much like the media and, and myself, you know, we turn to you because you're like an elder with all this wisdom and experience and, and, you know, um, your words have weight 
and uh, your opinions matter. And I know you've like you've contributed so much to Ottawa. I, 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 I hear elder, and I think, oh, you're an old guy. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, you, you're an elder <laughs> yeah, with respect. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> gracias. You're, you're most welcome. <laughs> Muchas gracias. Absolutely. So here's, let's rewind a little bit. Why Ottawa? Uh, I'll try and make a long story short. Um, I, I was going to university, uh, Waterloo, and um, I went to Oktoberfest. I don't know, uh, people listening out there. Uh, the second biggest Oktoberfest in the world after um, Germany is in Waterloo, Ontario, because a lot of Germans moved to that area. And so anyway, Waterloo had the biggest Oktoberfest, and I happened to be going to university there. So I strapped on, okay, this is a little bit unbelievable, but true. I strapped on the Lederhosen, and I went out to um, <laughs> to one of the clubs there, and um and I partied along. They taught me a very, a very cool, interesting thing happened because they taught me um, how to dance. They also taught me that drinking, you know, I mean, it's a beer fest really too. But it was, but but more than that, at the Concordia Club, this was more of a club that was cultural rather than you know, hey, just a big room, come and drink beer. Right. So. It, they it, they taught me about the culture of, of beer fest of of um, Oktoberfest um, Oktoberfest and uh, so I learned to dance I learned about the dirndls and the the littles and and so on and so forth and what I learned about drinking was it was it was about social it was not just about drinking it was bratwurst and beerwurst and 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 uh schnitzel and all these things it was about eating but also it was about um dancing and one of the really neat things that happened for me uh, being a young university student was i was amongst um very very young children there who were you know babes in arms and two and three years old and grandmas and grandpas and um, they taught me how to dance and how to behave as as a young student drinker amongst people of various ages. And so it wasn't just you know get drink to get drunk. It was sort of be merry. Event. So it's um, like uh, that that saying, right? Eat, drink, exactly. and be merry. Yeah, and uh, and. Um, in explaining all that to you, I forgot what you had originally. Asked. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I was saying like, what brought you to Ottawa? You know, you were in Waterloo. What, what inspired you to come oh, to the right. capital and, you know, open Zaphods essentially. Oh, that, that, that's a, a, a long process, but, um, but now I remember why I told you that story about uh, Oktoberfest. At Oktoberfest, I met my roommate's um, extended family, and uh, Bob Smith, um, who was kind of, I mean, he was married to, into this German family, um, he met me and he said, uh, boy, you're pretty nice young guy and um 
we just really hit it off. And he said, if you're ever looking for a job, give me a call. I'm a banker and I work in Ottawa. I live in CARP, CARP, Ontario, which is a, um, just around the corner from me. Satellite kind of community. Um, so I, I kind of filed it in the back of my head and didn't think about it much. And then um, after university, as I was kind of, uh, um, as most of us kind of do, and we're flailing away trying to find ourselves and what what our uh, careers are going to be. I remember Bob telling me at Oktoberfest, give me a call sometime. Mm. And so I did call him. And uh, immediately he said, get on a plane, get on a plane immediately and come on up and you can stay at my home and I'll get you an interview with the bank. Sure enough, I got an interview with the bank. Um, it was an all day affair because they really liked me. And so I went through a process that they really sped up and they got me to talk to this person and that person and that person. And by the end of that day, the bank had decided to hire me into a fast track management training program. So the next week I had to be in Ottawa. So wow. it was that quick. Yeah, it was that quick. And so, and Bob being the nice guy, I don't know where Bob is now. I mean, mm. our lives have gone in separate directions. Uh, but um, I, came, I flew up and Bob met me at the airport. And um, all I had was one bag and um he found we found an apartment uh this is in westboro it used to be and it's still there actually i've seen it but it's called something else uh it, it's called it was called plaza towers and it was near where skyline Cablevision was near the parkway along richmond road but i i got a i got a studio apartment i had no furniture nothing <laughs> so we went out we bought a futon and we bought a case of beer. Perfect. And that's the bare essentials, really. <laughs> wow. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, what a what an interesting um, you know, piece of history. And then and then, you know, clearly, you know, you grew attached to life in Ottawa and you know, eventually made well, it your Ottawa, stomping grounds. Um, and the bank was really good to me in the sense that they they were training me and fast tracking me and putting me into different branches, uh, and uh, so I mean I I learned a lot uh, of banking, what what I had to do, uh, but I also learned a lot of uh, being on my own. I learned a lot about Ottawa. My first branch was a bank in Gloucester. But I've worked at Bank and Sparks, Rito and William, Elgin and Frank, uh, all of these places. And actually, it was banking, through banking, that I met the person who eventually um, I created a pub for and who fired me. And then because of that, I, I took over a space and called it the underground. And then, you know, that, that got me into this whole uh, music thing. So as you can see, um, even though it's a convoluted uh, process of what I was doing, the fact that even as a youngster in India, I would um, I would tune in All India Radio, Voice of America, Radio Peking, which is now Beijing at the time, um, 
now, but then at the time was Radio Peking, um, Australian Broadcasting, BBC, Voice of America. So I was always interested in radio, in, in, the, in the music out there in the world as a youngster. And then I moved to Canada. I, I get involved in radio at Waterloo. So And then I get into banking, but I'm still, this thing is still part of me. And, and um, you know, this process of, of getting to a nightclub, I, I guess there's all these facets that one has and given timing and, and circumstances, you reach in and you use those parts of you that make sense. Right. Well, was, I mean, like I can only imagine like for me, you know, um, and we will fast forward to this part later, but uh, just to touch base on this, you know, um, in Beirut, there was not a particular scene that I felt was being filled. And so instead of waiting for someone and, and just complaining or whatever, being like, well, there's nothing happening, you know, um, you know, I instead decided to make those things happen, you know, um, at first, it was um, the rock and roll pizza party was something that I had attended here in Ottawa and very much so wanted to pay homage to that um, that spirit or whatever and, and export it to, to the Lebanese and kind of give this... Because, I mean, I've had so many great times there, right? Um, and likewise at, at, at Zaphod's and, you know... Um, Recreating that vibe and or, you know, doing something new um, was something that, I, yeah, that I had to do for Lebanon, even for my band to play, because it was it was impossible uh, for us to get a decent gig or at least the gig with the vibe that I wanted. So we started curating these events. Noticing that Beatrice said both filling, both filling a need. I mean, and that's really what we were doing when we couldn't find the things we wanted we filled a need not just for ourselves, but but and here's the thing, and I'll, I'll come to that in a second. How we met in 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 Beirut, okay? Because that was really cool. This is so we'll, crazy. We'll tell the phone. Yeah, yeah. So so you're doing the rock and roll pizza party. I'm doing Zephod, and and we're filling a need for ourselves, but we're also filling a need. And here's the important thing. It was a tribe. It wasn't, you know, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to create a uh, car dealership or, or a florist or something and fill that need. This was much more internal, where it was our tribe kind of got together, and and we were we were filling a need in a business kind of way, but we were also filling a social need, a an emotional need, and uh, musical need, and I don't know. It, it 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 was more than simply running a business, right? Absolutely. I mean, you know, Zaphod's philosophy, you know, um, the the mission statement that was, you know, right there in your face. You felt that, you know. Um, and I commend you and, and the staff for for doing, you know, uh, the good work to make an amazing and legendary icon that was Zephod Beeblebrox, you know. Um, I wish 
Well, I have to rewind. Go ahead. I have to rewind to why that mission statement came along. Because again, when I was at university, and, and, and even when I was in Toronto prior to that, um, I'd go to bars and bars or meat markets, you know, guys would stand around and look at chicks, you know, drinking their beer. And, you know, it, it, it was about going to a place where both parties, males and females, objectified each other over booze. Right. Whereas what I was trying to do was trying to make music and the social thing that I had learned through Oktoberfest and, and the folks around me, this this real idea of just let's get together. I mean, you know, sure we can we can have hookups and things, but but it should be <laughs> right. it shouldn't be the, the reason for us to go out. The reason is to be together and in in so being together and being part of this tribe, we will find in our tribe things and people and 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 um pursuits that that mean something to, to us and for example um when when these you know the first clubs that i remember going to were places where you came in the band played five sets of someone else's music they were all cover bands and and you just drank beer and and danced asked asked someone to dance all the time whereas what 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 we started doing was we danced sometimes we didn't dance with anyone we just danced because the music grooved us and stuff and i started doing things where um and i always had a philosophy that not not to disparage anyone who plays cover songs, etc. I just felt that um, it was important to allow the stage, and when I say the stage, I meant the whole club, to be a place where people bring something that they've created. So the bands, I, I was going after original bands. I also realized, and I we were one of the first ever people to use our wall space. We had this corridor at the uh, old Zafods on Rito Street. We had a corridor, and I thought, because of the folks that were coming, they were artistic. They were, oh, we, we had such a, a great group of people attending. And they brought ideas to me, and those ideas seemed to make sense. So, hey, you, you do art? Well, let's, we have a wall and we have people coming through here. Let's put it up on the wall. So, so what was happening was we were not just me. I mean, maybe I was a conduit, but definitely but the artists, the musicians, the, the folks made the place and, 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 and then we defined the place and coming back to the, the, the um, philosophy we defined that philosophy of, you know, no racism, no gender bias. Um, one, one of the first things uh, of the philosophy was everyone is welcome. And then I put 
especially women. And I, I took a lot of flack for that because people said, well, if you mean everyone is welcome, then it's everyone. It was kind of like, and I don't want oh to draw God. into, 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 um, into something political here. But when you say black lives matter and someone says, well, all lives matter, I think they missed the point. You're right. Right. So what I was trying to say when I said all people are welcome, especially women, I was trying to pay homage to the fact that generally women weren't treated. Or felt comfortable at a club or felt comfortable because trust me, coming from a dude who lived in the Middle East where literally like you hear all the stories from from women um, who are really feeling the um, the eye, the weight of men's eyes on them. And, uh, you know, the the, the clubs that are out there, you know, it's interesting you say that because Eugene, like that was something that really ruined the club experience for me, which was mm-hmm. going outside, waiting in line, maybe or maybe not getting into the club, depending on whatever vibe it is that I present and ha- being judged by some asshole uh, who's like going to say, eh, nah, not today. And then, you know, kick me to the street, you know, now certainly, you know, the bouncer does serve a purpose to ch- make sure that, you know, because the door, the door person, Right. Whether it's a bouncer or whether it's a woman, you know, um, the, the, the person at the gate really kind of curates the night, right? Like sets the tone. It sets the tone for what the vibe in the club is, you know? And sometimes, yeah, I mean, it's a tough job that you kind of have to do engage. Like, is this person intoxicated? Is this person look like they're going to cause trouble? Or are they generally ge- genuinely here to just have a good time? Let me tell you a little story very connected to that. And it actually happened in the Middle East. I was in Cairo and um, I had heard about this um, music place called the Cairo Jazz Club. And yeah. It sounded great to me. And, and, and I had seen some bands uh, listed that, uh, you know, I didn't really know the bands, but it, it, it felt like this is a place I should go. Oh, so, so I, I did. hold up, Eugene. We're losing you, man. We're losing oh. you. And, 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 no, and, no, no, no. Okay, hold up. Pause for a minute. Uh, if you can hear me, pause for just one second. Hold on. Okay, just a second. I'm going to... Okay. Uh, apologies, ladies and gentlemen. We seem to be having some technical difficulties. Uh, please uh, stay stay in tune. Uh, we're going to get Eugene back. Uh, sorry about that, man. The, the connection dropped. Uh, we'll get you back on, of course, and um, just as a note to anybody who's tuned in right now, uh, please, by all means, participate in this here, um, participate in this here talk that we're having. There is a question bubble, okay, in, in the bottom, uh, what, bottom right of your screen. And, um, you know, 
submit a question for either one of us. Until then, I'm going to invite again Eugene to... Oh, where did he go? Where did he go? He's not there. Come on. Go live with Eugene. I'm going to request him again. But yeah, um, look, there are... Whoa, many stories to be shared. We're talking, you know. Back now. Boom, you're back. <laughs> okay, so I don't know where, where we lost it and whether it was from your end. You were talking mine, about. I, I, I warned you that the internet connection is too bad. Yeah, you uh, where it started to drop off was right when you arrived to the Cairo Jazz Club. Okay, so I'll carry on. So, so I was at the front door, and uh, the the doorkeeper uh, he looked at me and very sternly, and he kind of go went no. And having been um, an owner of a club, I realize there's no point in arguing. There are people behind me. Better to stand aside until the people behind me get through, and then I can have a conversation. So when they went through, I, I stood in line again, and uh, he kind of looked at me and said, no. And that was that. I, I felt I couldn't go in. So I, I, I was upset, but I realized that arguing with someone like that who's much bigger than me is not going to go anywhere. So I just jumped in a cab and went home. Yeah. But um, the the last night that I was in Cairo, I thought, you know, I really want to see this place. So let me give it another shot. So I went back, same guy, looks at me sternly and says, no, you can't go in. Stood aside, the other people went in. And then I said, look, you know, I came here the other time. He said, no, now I'm back. And this is my last night in Cairo. I just want to go and take a look. And he kind of gave me that stern look. He said, stand aside, which I did. And the other people went in. And then he said, okay, go. So I went in and I got my first drink at the bar. And there was a guy standing beside me. And yeah, that's how I felt. And the guy said beside me said, so, how are you doing tonight? And I said, well, I was doing well until <laughs> this guy. He wouldn't let me in. And I, you know, but I'm glad I'm in here. And it turns out I'm talking to the owner. Oh, <laughs> shit. He was really, really apologetic. He said, I have to explain something to you. It's not about you. What we have done at this club is we wanted it to be safe because we had so many single irritating men come in here that we wanted it to be safe. So we made a policy that only um, women or women and men together, like a couple, can come in. And since you were a single man, the you know inference was that you're going to come in, you're just going to you know Google. Google people. Right. So he said, I'm so sorry. He bought me a drink and all that. You know what? It, 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 the, the band was really good. And I had a great time. He introduced me to a whole bunch of people. And, uh, and he actually gave me um, a memento off the wall there. And uh, yeah, it, it was a great experience. Wow. And, and it comes back to what you were saying about how door 
people uh, curate, and sometimes they have to do what they have to do because it's based on experience. And and the owner had to do that to keep his uh, clientele safe. And at Safe Odds, we we did that too, not not in the same kind of way, but our attitude was everyone is welcome until you prove yourself unwelcome and and a lot of times people in the lineup or outside your place already prove themselves unworthy exactly and um you know the, the the fact is that you want to protect your clientele absolutely absolutely well i think you know i was going to ask you back to the story about how i met you before that, before that uh, let's let's tell folks how how you were doing um, the rock and roll pizza party, and that's how I met you in Beirut. Well, yes, I had no there are idea two there there are two party. there are two eras of time. Okay, because uh, <laughs> this is kind of embarrassing for me because uh, my goodness. Okay, so I had actually met you first. <laughs> I knew you because you, the great Eugene, um, you know, at Zaphods at the time. I was in a punk band that was playing uh, Zaphods, and I, had, I, had, I was in a bunch of different acts that had played Zaphods, but I mean, you know, like you have so many groups coming in and out regardless. You were at the door. I was out having a cigarette and you were at the front entrance and I had like, you know, looked up. I was like, you know, let me look up. Who's this Eugene guy? You know, and I saw that your last name was Haslam. Okay. Or Haslam. 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 Again, see, till this day, still messing it up. So regardless, <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. So he might be like, you know, he might be Arab. He might speak Arabic. You know, I didn't know. You know, he's got a look. Could be. I know that in in Ottawa, there are uh, there's a large Lebanese community and Arab community. So I Absolutely. started immediately speaking Arabic to you, and I'm just conversing <laughs> with you, and I'm like, You know, and then you're like, um, I don't speak Arabic, and uh, and you're, and I was like, oh, oh, and then you were like, yeah, uh, I gotta go, and so you left, right? <laughs> I think you were just finished. You, you like you had just finished. I don't know if you were smoking or it was just I. I was smoking. I don't know. But in any case, you went back inside, and I was just like, "Oh my god, I just fucked up speaking to the owner of this club. I feel so stupid." You know, of course, you know. And but I'll tell you something. Since then, as you know, we had a cab stand in front of us, and most of the cab drivers were Lebanese. So I learned how to how to say marhaba. I learned Kifa. I learned uh, Shukran, Masalama. I learned Habibi. Habibi. Oh, and the one, Habibi. And the one I liked a lot is Yalla, Yalla. Hey, man. Yalla. Ma'ul. Yalla, Yalla. Khalas, khalas, niba. Uh, absolutely. Khalas. Yeah. So. And if you're, I also learned La, La. And, you and have to know that. I think I learned from you that when you say La, if you add on an ah uh, after it, it, it emphasizes it like this, okay? La. Hey, la. You know, extended. You know? Right. Exactly. You know, if you make it short, it's like, okay, who's this guy? What's his problem? You know, you make it very short, it's like, psh, very curt. But um, so, yeah, so here it is. You know, I have one of my events. Fast forward to like, psh, I can't remember. Was it like 20? 
must have been 2014 or 2015, something. Maybe, maybe 2013. I don't know. Regardless, I guess we'd have to look at the Facebook memories. I didn't do that. But regardless, so I'm outside like fixing up, you know, prepping for the for the uh for the evening, uh postering and flyering, and I'm just like, you know, taping a this is in Beirut. Yeah. I'm I'm fast forwarding to my time in Beirut. And I'm just flyering for the event. And there I see you with your dreads walking down the street, because you still had them back then, right? You still had your dreads back then. Yes. And uh I'm like looking at a unicorn of a per like in, in the city, right? Or just like a, a person walking <laughs> through and it's you, and I'm like Oh my God. Like, what are you, Eugene, what are you doing here? I, I mean, you don't know me, but I know you, dude. I know you. What are you doing in Lebanon of all places? You're like, yeah, I'm just chilling. I was like, okay, you have to come. You have to come. Yeah. I'm having a party. You got to come to my party. And, uh, and you did. And it was, uh, an, it, did. it was a great time. It was a pretty wild night. We overpacked that night. There was, and of course, you know, smoking laws, not the same, uh, you know, you don't, there's no laws. <laughs> it was so bad that you, you know, like your eyes would burn from the smoke. But anyway, by uh, the way, what I recall is the DJ, she was an awesome DJ. She was just getting really into her groove and stuff. And yeah, but I have to tell you. Um, a little story about, you know, you mentioned how you looked up and you saw me there and you said, hi. Okay, there's a little backstory to that. I was in a different part of Beirut um, and I had taken a taxi and I said, um, can you take me to Hama? Oh, yeah, okay. You know, I got in and I always get into the front passenger side in taxis, whether in New York, whether in Toronto. And they kind of look at me like, hey, hey what are you doing? Can you be in that <laughs> because, yeah, because of Ottawa, because in Ottawa, I always chatted with my cab drivers. Right. Mm. So anyway, I got in the cab and he was going to drive me to Hamra. And, and um, so I got to tell you the story. So he went. Towards Hamra, I knew we were going to the right area, and then he kind of went through back streets, and I thought, yeah, it's not looking good. And he stopped in a place, and it was kind of like an alley, and he demanded, and and there you make a deal before you get in the cab. You know, you right. say where you want to go, exactly. and uh, you make a deal, right? So he wanted more money. And he was going to beat the shit out of me. So I, at first, I, I kind of got my back up and I was, you know, going like, what the hell, you know? And, um, but then I did the math in my head and it came out to about $3 or something stupid. Right. So, you know what I did? I just, I, I, I had my hand on the door and, and I threw the door open. I threw the money in and I ran. And that's when I came across you. Now, just wow. to let people know, just to let people know, um, my whole time in Lebanon, nothing like that ever happened. So even though I'm telling people this story, right, right. please do not, do not assume that this is what Beirut is like. Because everywhere I went, 
everywhere I went. It, okay, you know that. It's yeah. not Peru. It's no, not. it happens to I Lebanese think. people. It happens to Lebanese right. people that they will be at, know, they will be with us. Yeah, like, it okay. It can so, happen to Ottawa if you get with someone bad. So. Right, but so even anyway, Lebanese so, people so, who are so, with, uh, like, North American friends or Europeans, and they're speaking English or French. Look, okay, taxi drivers make next to nothing, and especially now. Like, right. the economic situation is crazy. So, you know, I mean, and they don't have, like, in North America, uh, a meter. It's like an honor system, in a way. Absolutely. Or, in a way, I think they actually kind of pioneered uh like uber carpooling before that was a thing you know what i mean exactly because because it doesn't really say taxi it's someone's car you know right in some cases right exactly but anyway i do do really want to get across that this was an oddball situation but i so then i was walking towards this place and I saw your poster, and it was, if you remember correctly, it was Spock. It was from, Spock, yeah, doing yeah, the, the, the thing, yeah. yeah. Aliens exist. So, so that drew my eye to it. It's like, what the hell, Spock? So I went towards the poster, and there was you, and that's how we met, out of the blue. Out of the in blue. Beirut. Like, yeah. Out of the blue. Yeah. Out of the blue, and um, you know, we've kind of been like pen pals and keeping up with each other ever since. And it's, uh, you yeah. know, I I appreciate the hell out of you, man. Um, you know, at the time you had your dreads, so like, and now clearly you don't. So like, what was that like? Was that a heavy moment for you? Like a transition for you to like, okay, it's time to let these go. No, I think I think I sort of moved along. You know, I had dreads for uh, 26, 27 years. So, and and then you know, as as with anything, um, uh, with old age, you kind of have receding hairlines, and so they they were getting. It was time to get rid of them. But I have to tell you, the dreads. Um, they, they kind of, for a lot of people, they defined Eugene, you know, uh, if, if someone was coming up behind me, they would know it was me just by my look. And remember, uh, there was a time when I used to have uh, rings, uh, like skulls and uh, silver rings on every finger. Um, let me tell you a really weird story about my dreads and my rings. Um, I had gone to, and you've probably gone through Schiphol Airport in uh, Amsterdam. Right. So what so one time I was in Schiphol Airport, I have my dreads, I've got rings on every finger and I'm going through customs and so you know, you've got to go through that uh, metal Scanner. detector and I, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, so you know, I set everything off because I've got all these rings on. And uh so this guy he, he sort of, you know, you put your hands out and he wands me, wands the rings and the, the hair, lifts the hair and all that. And I'm, I'm okay. So he lets me through. Fast forward a few years, let's say about four or five years, and I happen to be in Schiphol Airport again. And by now, I know the drill of going through customs anywhere in the U.S., in in uh, in France, in Spain, in Dominican, uh, Cuba, whatever, right? I know the drill. I just spread and, you know, do your thing and 
I get through. Anyway, so so now I'm back in Skipple, and I know the drill. So I go like this, and a young guy comes to me with a metal detector, and the older guy is. I know him. He's okay. <laughs> That's awesome. How the hell are, you know how many people go through that airport every day? Yeah. But my look was so defined. Super unique, dude. I mean, it was like immediately identifiable, you know, uh, and it but definitely it served its purpose. To me, what a great, what a great memory this guy had. And, you know, and and one of the things with my hair was uh, people from from even even in Jamaica, Jamaicans would would kind of go, I remind, I remind, you know, right. like, respect, respect. But, you know, in other countries, like I, I would be in the middle of Yemen in the desert with a Bedouin and the Bedouin would kind of want to feel my hair. And 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 I think. I think my look gave me some kind of human passport into people's worlds. They they invited me in, you know. Well, for sure. But but I, I've also learned from my travels that um, it it doesn't have to be your hair or your beard or or anything. What it has a lot to do with is your eyes. Is the smile? There are so many muscles in our face. Mm that you you can tell you can tell when someone is is has a gentle heart you know what i mean oh absolutely they call them smiling eyes you know and and you definitely have um some gorgeous peepers there eugene you got some gorgeous peepers <laughs> there's a song in there somewhere oh yeah there's a song in there for sure um but okay so you know, you've mentioned that you've been in Yemen. Like, let's, what would you say some of your um, fondest travel experiences have been so far? Yemen. Yemen, uh, where I almost got taken hostage. And it's, yeah, yeah. Oh, speaking of hair. Okay, I got to tell you this one. (laughs) So in Yemen, and this is way before all this current wave of stuff. This is uh, many years ago. So when I was going from one place to another, what what the tourists had to do, you had to go with your guide to the edge of town, to a checkpoint. There, you all the tourists would meet up with their guides and the cars and the drivers and stuff. Then the army would provide um, uh, security front and back, you know, big howitzer guns and lots of, there are a lot of guns. Right. right. And um, they would take you to where you were going. You'd drop you off, and they'd carry on with the other tourists and all that. So um, I was in this village, and my guide was with me and my guard. I paid a guard $2 a day. He had flip-flops, but he had a machine gun. Yeah. So The heater. And, 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 just, well, and, and people ask me, why Yemen? Go online and just look at photos of Yemen. It is gorgeous. a spectacular, gorgeous country. Anyway, so I was taking all the photos, etc. And I heard, I because I know a few words of Arabic, I know the rhythm of Arabic. But my guard 
or sorry, my tour, my guide and the tribal chief were arguing. It sounded like arguing and, and stuff. So I went to see what was going on, and I thought, uh, you know, um, my 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 guide said, um, Mr. Haslam, Mr. Haslam, go back to the uh, car with the with the guard. Just go 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 back to the car. And I said, well, if I took a picture of a wrong place or if I did anything wrong, please please tell the gentleman that I had no intention. I'm very sorry. He said, no no no, go back to the car. So I went back to the car with the with the guard, and they were still arguing there, and they're pointing at me and so on and so forth. And then finally, my my guide comes, and uh, you know, we get in the car, and uh, we're tooling down the highway. And it was about a good fifteen minutes, you know, breathe in, breathe out, you know, like this could have gone sideways on us. And then I said to him, I said, "What happened there?" And he said, "Well, he was going to take you hostage. And in Yemen, in those days, they took people hostage, but but they treated you really kindly, etc. And right. you got fed, and they had they danced and all that. But then they would say to the government, "Remember that thing you said you were going to build for us, like a water water um, purification mm -hmm. plant, or this or that? Well, now we've got a hostage, and that's what they did. They used it as leverage, and so." That's what he was going to do with me. So oh I asked my, my guy, but how did you get me out of this? He said, I pointed to you. That's what I was saying. I was saying, look at that guy. He's got the stupid rings and the stupid hair and all this. <laughs> what do you think? What, what do you think, think he's think worth? Country, <laughs> what do you think his country is going to do? So looking like me is not a bad thing with dreads and... <laughs> Pro tip, guys. You heard it first from there Eugene. There you go. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. Buy, a dre buy dread wigs when yeah. you go to places like that. Look really not like a good hostage. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I mean, you, you saying that story reminded me of a time that I was actually um, caught into some things in, in Lebanon. And this was actually... Um, so I, I, I locked myself out of my apartment and I had a cleaning lady at the time and she had keys to the apartment because she would come in and she would clean and, and come and go as she pleased. And so I go to meet her at her other job where she was working at this hotel. And uh, <laughs> so uh, I'm in like the back entrance, the employee entrance of this hotel. And there are these guards by the back entrance and I think that they're hotel security. Little did I know, though, that they were actually the personal armed guard for the PSP, um, like whatever. Uh, there's a politician, okay, the 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 Progressive Socialist Party uh, in in uh, in Lebanon. Not fun people, okay, not fun people, or nor people to mess with at all. But I think that they're the hotel security. And so I'm wearing, you know, I'm looking the way that I look like, you know, got my sunglasses on feeling like, yeah, what up? You know, just going to get this key, going to get in my house. And so I'm in the back entrance and the security say, excuse me, you can't be here. And I'm like, hey, hotel security, relax. Okay. We're not, you know, just, hey, maybe uh, go secure some some other areas. So, you know, I'm, I'm on the phone. I'm pacing back and forth waiting for, for my maid to come out and she doesn't 
And they're starting to get nervous. Like, what is this guy? You know, what is this guy doing? Uh, and we've told him to leave. He hasn't left. And so finally they say, listen, you need to get out of here. And they start pushing me back. Okay. And of course I, again, think they are hotel staff. And so I am like, what did you just do? You know, I'm basically like showing my privilege, right? Just being like, you get your hands off me and, and escalate. It's just escalating. There are other security guards in the area coming, pulling their, their AKs and everything like that, being like, get on the ground. You know what I mean? Basically, you know what I mean? And, and they straight up, at one point in time, they start actually, they don't, in Lebanon, they don't beat you up, okay? They slap you, okay? So I'm oh, just getting, slapping. yeah, so I'm just getting like, bah, slap, slap, and I'm like getting hit by these, again, who I think are hotel security, and I'm like, stop, you wait right here, and I'm just like pulling my primal thing. I go into the hotel, and I scream at the front desk. I'm like, I need a manager now. You know, I'm just like so livid, angry. And I said, I don't know what the hell you got going on back there. Okay. But you have some really like gung ho, crazy overachiever staff that are trying to do some things. And they're like, sir, we apologize, but that's not our staff. <laughs> and I'm like, well, who are they? They said, that's the security for the PSP. Oh, uh, so I go back and they're like papers. They're like, whatever I get. I actually uh, get a bag thrown over my head, handcuffed and taken to the local uh, police department to be interrogated. Yeah. And I learned, but, but you know, in, and, and, and that's the kind of stuff um I came across in in Lebanon because I, I'd have my camera with me and I and I'm the kind of I, I don't know that I could even call myself a tourist. I, I would say I'm the kind of adventure goofball who wants to make a left turn and a right turn and get lost somewhere. So I would do that quite often in in different parts of Beirut and other parts of Lebanon. And you can't uh, sometimes because they're controlled by different factions right but i you know i'd go in and i'd charm them i i, I would get some great photographs and time and again i'd be going into situations where someone else could have easily been shot or again put in cuffs and you yeah. know hauled off but i would just faint total ignorance and yeah and charm them and then then i'd say do you mind if i take your photo no 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 oh my goodness that's hilarious <laughs> but but being able to say you know masalama or or you know shokan habibi you know and and take off quietly was was good yeah um in yemen for example um I don't know if a lot of people know what this is, but it's called cut. It's a leaf. It's kind of like, you know, how people in um, in uh, South America uh, chew chew poppy leaves, etc. It's a mild narcotic. It's well, like a chewing cut. tobacco. Yeah, um, but not, it's more leafy. It's, it's almost like pot. Right. But, but, but pot is 
is dried, where it's cut, they cut it in the morning and big, huge uh, sheaths of it are passed around and traded and stuff. And in, in Yemen, in the afternoon, uh, lunchtime, the whole of Yemen is shut down because all the men chew cut. So, so anyway, I had to learn to to what this cut was about. So, um, I I bought cut and I chewed it and it didn't give me any buzz or anything. <laughs> but what I did, right, right, what I did, or maybe maybe it did, maybe and I was just kind of always, you know, that was my buzz, right? <laughs> but what I did learn is that every checkpoint, you know, and and there these are young army guys, you know, barely 18 or 20, between 18 and 25, and they're young, but they're pretty stern with their guns and everything drawn. And, you know, and they go, passport, and I show them my passport, and then they kind of nod. And then I would give them a big thing of chunk or a sheaf of cut, and the smiles are just amazing, you know? <laughs> Uh, yeah, it got me through through many many places. I'll, I'll tell you another. Um, you know, we we haven't talk, even touched on music now and Zaphods and stuff. But 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 this is really cool shit. Well, you know, uh, so before before you go into I your mean, next I story, mean, before you go into your next story, and we're talking about photographs and things like that. You know, I wanted to ask you. You know, how did you get into photography, and what was the first photo or piece of art that you wanted to have framed i don't recall ever consciously thinking i wanted to be kind of like an amateur photographer um i it was because i was traveling and when you travel in in those days um you you bought you estimated how much uh, how many rolls of film you would use on your trip and unlike most people who did not make you know maybe took uh, four rolls of film on a trip to to say um vacation on the beach in mexico or, or uh in varadero cuba i was going to some pretty exotic places so you know i i get you know 20 rolls of film and here's the thing uh when i would take um, and again, uh, I, I was so lucky, but it, it, I also pushed a little bit. I would go into places where people said, don't go mm. because, because I could, I, I just, people give gay and, and believe me, I, I am, I am not, uh, you know, overly courageous or anything. Maybe I'm a goof, but, but, but what? What they did was they gave me license to be there, and and I felt that I felt this give and take, and so I would I would go to places and I would take uh, photos of, and I love taking photos of people. I love the 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 look in their faces mm. and, and bring that bringing that home with me for me, but also for other people to see. And so I was taking these um, these films and and then develop bringing them back to Canada and developing them. But what I learned was when I was taking someone's film there, I kind of took something away with me. 
And then came the advent of digital cameras where I could take their photo and flip the camera. What an amazing change that was. People who had never been photographed before were now seeing themselves and seeing it in a way that was sim sympathetic to them. Yeah. And, uh, oh, and here's another thing I, I, I started doing uh, later on. And this is a good tip for folks who go back to the same place. I, I rarely did, but once in a while I would go back to a place, especially if it was in the Caribbean or something. And say the year before or three years prior, I had uh, taken some photos of people. Well, I, I go into Staples and I do a collage of a calendar. So January, February, blah, blah, blah. You know, we have all these photos of these people. And then I would go back to these areas. And people were so amazed to see themselves on a calendar. Oh, they were chucked. Yeah. yeah. That's like a cool thing. Yeah. I've never been in a calendar. I want to be in a calendar. Well, I think I, I could do that. I have a picture <laughs> of me. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, yeah, yeah. There's another thing to do uh, when, when you go away. And uh, many of my friends are musicians. So, um, what I also found really good was carrying guitar picks mm. uh, because, again, that got me into a certain kind of audience, right? Mm. Guitar picks uh, carry guitar strings in certain countries. Um, take things that connect you. Uh, for example, when I was in Prague, uh, I was drinking at a bar and... Um, because of what you're into, you meet other like-minded people. So I was meeting, you know, just by conversation with someone beside me, it turned into something about, you know, we talk about the same band or something, or I thought, you know, um, Radiohead. Well, everyone knew Radiohead. Or if I was in, if I was in Portugal and I said Cesaria Ivora, oh yeah, wow, mm. you know. So, so one of the things in traveling is to try and and find the connector in speech or in action or in something that allows people to find out a little bit more about you and where you have common interests, and then they take you off with them, and then you see a better, uh, you have a better view of the country. For example, well. You showed me a part of uh, Beirut that I would never have discovered on my own. Yeah, well, yes, and yes, and also maybe also kind of me trying to export Western culture uh, into into Lebanon. You know, I mean, you you'd already been to a, a lot of some of the nice um, restaurants and or like hangouts that people would go to, whether it be in downtown, whether it be in uh, in Hamra and, and whatever. Um, mm -hmm. You know, to truly have like that Beiruti experience, you know. Uh, you know just what I, you know what I really like is when when you flip back and forth between you know English and then all of a sudden you go into your uh, Beiruti uh, Arabic, you know, yeah. and and it's so amazing to to meet. Um, to have met your friends and other Beirutis and and uh, and folks who flip, it, it's it's like uh, it's like 
here, you know, when people come here and they and they think Quebec is so, you know, French and and uh, you know Ontario is so English or Alberta, and then you know right across from me or right where I am in Montebello, and right across from me uh, on the river on the other side, it is so English and French, and where people just just so easily move between languages. I love that, and see, and and to me. To me, I found uh, that in in some ways, music was so much of a metaphor of of all of this stuff. How you can speak to someone, mm. and uh, here I, I I love speaking in, in these kind of parables. Uh, so I'm in I'm in the Basque region of Spain, and they're um, they're um, they they, they want to separate uh, because the Basques are a distinct culture, and and um, for people who don't know, uh, it's uh, the Basque culture is uh, the top part of uh, Spain and France, and so I again. In my adventures, I I had heard, um, you know, and, and, and people, when you ask them where to go, whether it's in Ottawa or Paris or, or Barcelona, they tell you to go to the places that you could find in the in the pamphlet uh, with the advertisers on your uh, four-star hotel side table. But I don't want that kind of experience, right? right? So ask, right? So I found out that there was some punk and it wasn't even a club they they played in someone's house in a basement right so those are the best because you're getting right deep into into culture so i went to this punk club and it was in the in a basque area and so it, they were basque punks and it was so cool because the music <clears throat> was very punky and uh, a bit um a bit uh, sort of like the jam and and uh, a bit um and and you know the pistols and a bit of of um sort of rockabilly etc so all of these idioms i understood and they was they were singing english songs you know albeit with a bit of an accent attached to it right right so so when when the lead singer came off Stage, I figured because he's singing English songs that you know I could just speak to him, and I said, "Well, that was really good." And he looked at me, and he didn't understand English. He was phonetically right. repeating the songs, <laughs> but it was so cool, you know, music—the language that connects. Well, yeah, and, I mean, music is the language of the world. Dance is the language of the world. You know, anybody, it's movement. It's something that unifies people, you know, rhythm and beat, melody. Um, and, you know, in, in some cases, you know, when I first started making music, initially, I was, go I mean, I'm still going under the monkier lazy lung. Initially, I wanted to make instrumental music because I knew that it was something. Why you spell it with two Zs? Oh man. Yeah. So, okay. Full disclosure, uh, kind of regret it, but also at the same time, it is what it is. Um, when I was designing the logo, uh, with the particular typeface that I had, it just looked more symmetrical, even though it's not, uh, it, they're literally the same. Blame it on autocorrect. Autocorrect. Right. I, I have done that. Uh, I actually, once upon a time, I was doing an interview and I said that I was creating a MySpace account late at night and I fell asleep on the keyboard and it 
just typed it in for me. Uh, and well, you were telling me about uh, about music, cr- creating music, yeah, creating instrumental music as opposed to uh, things with lyrics and stuff like that that will you know um, create boxes or boundaries for you. But um, yeah, it was only in my later years that I kind of felt like no, I have some stories to tell. Um, I didn't even like my, the sound of my own voice, to be honest, you know. But you got uh, a good radio voice. Well, thank well, thank you. Yeah, it's come with time. It's come it's with time. Conversational. Mm-hmm. Cheers. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I'm glad that in a way your innocent and kind of openness has worked out for you so far, uh, unscathed. Uh, uns- <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, no, that I've got stories where I got close to being scathed. <laughs> right. Exactly. But I mean, again, just uh, being somewhat, you know, uh, peaceful and, and just, yeah. I mean, uh, why would it, you'd have to re- be a real piece of shit to, to harm someone. Um, like, that's just a tourist, you know. But anyway. Did, so yeah, to go back into the into the photography thing, um, and you know, uh, uh, someone who appreciates art, um, have you ever framed any of your work around me? Um, I thought about um, framing stuff and using that as a vehicle to raise money for a charitable cause. Uh, but then, then I see, and because I know a lot of good people who are <laughs> who are photographers, real photographers, right? And then I think, oh my god, you know. Uh. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 humbling to see good photography, <laughs> like really good photo. I have so many good friends who are. That that is their passion. That um, that is their livelihood. Professionals. They that, you know. I I know very little about my camera. I know very little about how to use light, etc. What I do know is is very uh, instinctual. Me. I people like yeah, and people do like some of the some of the photographs. I, I take because of circumstance or that I'm capturing, but no, I don't. I don't ever feel that I have that kind of ability. But but yet again, you know, when I look at uh, at, um, at at musicians and and as you were saying, sometimes you 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 don't have the confidence in yourself or you you apply other standards against yourself that perhaps you shouldn't you know it might happen i know that around me what i've done uh when i was trying to put pick photos up in here um the idea came to just go through my photos and so i have photos around me that uh tell a story of my travels and so on and so forth absolutely so well hey eugene comparison is the thief of joy 
And please don't diminish your own, um, you know, sincere kind of just appreciation for you have an eye, man. Don't I get you don't like I feel like an imposter sometimes, but I have to remind myself that this is something that I enjoy. And and hey, maybe other people will resonate with it as well, Um, you know, but I get you in the sense that you feel like, oh, that's a real that's a real photographer who went through the education and, and, and like can actually call, you know, himself a photographer as opposed to someone who is, is a, it's, this is a hobby. Clearly it's not a career, but nonetheless, not to take away from all your, um, interesting experiences and stories. I mean, at the end of the day, right. A, a photo has a whole narrative on its own, right? So, well, for me, that's what it is. It, it, it's my way of taking some uh, or showing someone else what I have seen through my eyes and through my lens because uh, different people apply a different lens to the same thing that occurs to them uh, in front of them. So, yes, but I want to flip this a bit from photography to music um, Cool. in that sense. And because because when when I was looking at people on the stages that uh, you know that where I presented music, um, it was very important. And it's funny because I don't I I I don't apply those rules that I was applying to music to myself with photography. For example, um, bands young bands would would approach me, and I would give them an opportunity because you know why because they were doing their music it wasn't cover bands and uh, again i i always want to to make sure that people understand that's a whole different thing i'm not denigrating cover bands what i am saying is that if you're doing this work yourself i want to give you an opportunity to be on that stage as you know in, in, in the very early days of so many bands, from Jail to Thrush Hermit and, you know, you name all the, all the Canadian bands that they were, they were starting out and they were a little, let's say a little bit rough, but by, by virtue of that stage and many other stages, they honed their craft and they became better and look where they went. So it, it it is very important um, to and and I would I don't apply those rules to myself for for photography, but I did apply those rules for music to look go and play keep playing keep playing you're going to get better right and and I would uh, I would give so many people chances. Um, because they were doing their own thing and uh, a chance to hone their art and not just their art but but the rapport with an audience and 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 then they in turn would look at themselves and say well you know we can do better lighting or we can do this or we can do that or we can you know their stage banter as you know there are so many things that musicians do to as as they progress it's not just about writing a song it's about right. you know maybe what we'll wear on stage or or you know, making what, it what, a unique what, memory for everyone because i mean a lot yeah, of the- what, instrument, what instrumentation you might bring in you know you might 
you know, ask someone to to guest uh, guest with you on stage or with saxophone or with accordion or something, you know. So yeah, I mean, I love that. I love the process of people who do art because it's it's something that drives you all on your all on its own. You know, I mean, eventually, eventually, the audience also drives you when people give you um, that feedback. You know, yeah, and, and you you find you find out what you should uh, change, or and that um, that give and take of of yeah, uh, it was worth it to put yourself out there and um, for people to appreciate that. Absolutely. And I mean, the audience is always going to be your ultimate litmus test, especially if you're in a, a comedian or, or whatever, you know, and, um, unfortunately, you know, you're only as good as your last show. This is a truth that has hit hard. And, um, you know, it's something that I have tried to take to heart in terms of, um, honing my craft, making sure that we are at a certain level before uh, stepping on stage. You know, you'd, you'd hear like Zappa talking, you know, he's a big inspiration in terms of how hard he would work his band because at the end of the day, you know, um, they're putting on a production and people are spending their hard earned cash to come in and witness what it is that you're bringing to the table. So respect that. Um, and also, you know, it's so true how in many ways, you know, when you start off as a cover band, you are cutting your teeth. You are getting used to overcoming stage fright. You're getting used to performing and as a unit. Things, you know. Exactly. You're, you're um, preparing yourself um, for war because essentially, right? Well, let's call it a battle, right? Each each uh, time that you're on stage, you're on a battle for, for something. Um, I actually had that let's say, um, sink or swim type of situation since high school being in part of coffee houses and, you know, these annual, uh, performances that we would all like, you know, like practice and work up to. Um, and I really do think that it helped us or myself as a musician, later on in life become so natural and so comfortable. There are, there are like headlining acts who are still really shy and kind of have really shit banter, but are amazing musicians, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, people come in all different, (laughs) pardon me, the cure, right, right. Exactly. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, again, I want to pivot here because of the, the thought occurred to me. When we talk about art, we talk about, you know, musicians, painters, um, um, photographers, etc. I want to acknowledge that art is something that we actually all have. Even when I was a banker, there was an art to that. There are salespeople out there who are just salespeople, and then there are salespeople who have honed it into a fine art. When I looked at the people that I surrounded myself with, my bartenders, 
my my security team they you know some of them just did a job others elevated what they were doing into an art form you look at and, and you would know this you look at at people who who do uh, who are sound engineers and and light lighting engineers and even rigging and so on and so forth that is art we might not when people see a band at a festival or on a stage or something they just go woohoo you know next year whatever and and that's our job right that, and nothing wrong with that because if we've done our job we give them that experience they don't have to worry about the rigging or the security or the fences or we, we want to keep them safe. Mm. We want to make a good presentation. We want to have a nice light show. We want the audio to be really great. But the people who do that, when you assemble these artisans, and and that's what they are, right. whether they're sound or whatever, um, light, they are artisans in their own right. And uh, musicians at that level, they're... The, this whole crew of people that puts on a show is is so such an amazing crew of artistically endeavored people, right? And I do I, I to me when when I look at at things, um, anything I've done, I've always looked at surrounding myself with good people and i used to give um uh, speeches um, or talks to business groups etc and one of the things i've always said uh whether you're prime minister whether you're the uh, chief, chief executive officer of an organization my i've always stood by the fact that and uh when, when i'm speaking with young students i i change the wording on it but i won't care Hire the best and get the fuck out of their way. Let them do their job. Oh but my hire the God, best. dude. Fucking thank you. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. What a useless thing to basically have a shitty team or people that you have to micromanage or whatever. Why not have people? Man, because Eugene, I was in a situation where when I was in Lebanon, I was working at a venue and that, mm -hmm. and that manager, that owner did not share that philosophy and lost many good people because of it. That we were all like, we were all caught up in, in the idea of what this place could have been. And if only he just let people step up to the plate, mm -hmm. you know, but, you know, I will say, I will say that it, the older and more experienced uh, people um, need to also bring up and teach, uh, you know, the less experienced or the, the novices, etc. You know, uh, the, the things I know, for example, I know so fast, I don't have to think about it, it comes to me. But, but I understand that someone with less experience won't know how to do that. So it is my job to reach back Right. And to give them the, the tools and the skills, but not to submerge them and treat them like, hey, you will never know. My job, our jobs, are to create the next wave to make ourselves dispensable. 
right? When people say, well, you know, you're the owner or you're the manager, you just sit back and do nothing. That is your job is to actually get to that point to have your team do what they do so that you can move your focus to something else that is important. Maybe, you know, uh, bringing business in or how can I enlarge this um the scope of what we're doing so if you do you know if you if i hire the best people to do this then i can move my focus from this stuff to something else that is also very important for all of us yeah Absolutely. And I mean, of course, you know, as you, I mean, you know, someone who's been, been done, did it for, for so long, um, you know, there are certain, uh, criteria and parameters that, you know, where things are kind of leaning or, or falling short. Um, I will never forget a scene in a movie, I believe called paid in full. And it is, uh, a scene where a younger gentleman is working at, um, like, a what do you call it? A dry cleaning spot. Okay. And the dry cleaning spot has a help wanted sign at the front and the, you know, the employee or the, the, the character, the actor in the, in the, this particular scene is saying to the owner of the business, why do you got this help wanted sign here, bro? You know, I've been here all my life, you know? And he said, that sign is there to make sure you do your job. <laughs> and I was like, damn. Because a lot of times yeah, people get we're comfortable. All, we're all dispensable. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But um, you know, very, very wise words. Uh Eugene, if you can believe it, we've been speaking for an hour and a half. We wow. have. Yeah. We uh, barely touched on we bear that's cool that's cool you know this will have to be a part one to 15 probably but um okay. <laughs> uh i wanted to ask you uh why montebello and we can get into that we have someone in the, in the comment section asking and this is kind of interesting have you been to the 27 club have you been to the successor or the new establishment that was in zaphod's no and and uh for no uh, um I, I also used to own Barrymore's, and oh, wow. I've never been back there. Um, and that's the same thing with the 27 Club. For no other reason than this, when, when I've walked away from something, that is the, the picture I have in my mind. I, 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 I know exactly those memories and all that. And I want to keep those memories intact. It's, it's got nothing to do with what has happened since. It's like when you sell your house and you move away. Yeah. Um, new owners can change it and move furniture around, paint the stuff and all that. And maybe 50 or 20 years later, you, you perhaps might want to go in and look at where, where it is now. For me, it's got no other reason than just preserving in my wee head those memories as they were intact. Anything else I do, 
Uh, if I came in, I'd be trying to compartmentalize these things, and it's very difficult. Yeah. Um, so, so I hope that answers that question. Um, it's got, it, it's, there's no kind of negative right. reason why. Well, that makes, that makes plenty of sense. You know, uh, I definitely can relate to kind of. Montebello? Yes. Montebello here. In this in this house, Pierre Elliott Trudeau used to sleep up in that room. Wow. Across the river. Okay, let me tell you a little story. Before Canada was formed, when I look out the this there's this big Ottawa River that comes from the Parliament buildings through here that empties into the St. Lawrence and you know the ocean and stuff. When I look Across, I see Ontario there. I'm in Quebec. But it goes beyond that. That river was where the people, before Canada was ever formed, the peoples of this, whomever lived here, and there were many uh, different um, First Nations groups that lived here, that was their highway. Mm. Uh, so... So it takes me back to a time before Canada, but even after Canada was formed and, you know, that became Ontario, this became Quebec, the, the, uh, the um, explorers went down this river and then they, uh, uh, you know, they traded with people from the Hudson's Bay down there. Um, it, it brings me back to a much more... Um, real time I'm, I'm more connected when i go out for walks up here the tree on this property is probably about 120 years old wow and and that brings me to uh this place in montebello actually i'm going to show you something here while i'm talking all right um let's get a tour we're getting a tours oh, oh all right <laughs> i saw that you posted that not too long ago it's yeah. a this is it, the golf is the, ball from the course here, and it's uh, an ex-prime uh, minister's golf ball. It's Jean Chrétien. Anyway, and there are many golf balls lost along here. But, um, but um, the, this area was one of the first gated communities in Canada. All the, 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 the richest people uh, in some of the richest people in the world used to own property up here. And uh, they would have mega parties. This would be equivalent uh, in that era. This was called a seniority club. And it would be the equivalent of what Monaco is to some people. You know how some, some of the world's elite, right. they, they have a yacht in Monaco and they have a little uh, place in Paris and they have a, you know, a place in Los Angeles, yada, 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 you know, and um, that was then. Here, here, um, the captains and the the the, the wood uh, captains of industry and the heads of banks and and uh, the lumber and railway barons they all had property up here. And um, here's a little story where we have a tulip festival in Ottawa because um, the yeah. Queen of the Netherlands uh, was taken care of in Canada and uh, had her baby 
in Canada, and uh, we know the story of uh, how where she had her baby at the civic hospital was made into Dutch territory so that she would give birth on Dutch territory and so, <laughs> uh, carry on the line to the throne, uh, to the Dutch um, um, throne. Prior to the queen going to Ottawa, the queen lived up here. Wow. So, yeah, there's a little story there. Um, the 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 French people have their own hero here, who was um, Papineau, um, 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 Jean. What's his first name? I can't. And now I'm running a blank. But but Papineau uh, has his memoir up here, and he was one of the first. Um, you know, rebels that had to had to be um, banished and was banished because uh, you know he was trying to he was he was a, a revolutionary and a rebel, so they banished him. And um, when he renounced, uh, you know, fighting and so on and so forth, he settled here. And um, when when um, you, you think of the name Montebello. Montebello is a an Italian name. It's not a French name. You know, this mountain would have been called, uh, you know, La Belle Montagne, not Montebello. The reason it was called Montebello was because uh, when um, uh, Jean-Louis Pap uh, Papineau was uh, banished to France, he met up with the uh, um, the... It, this Italian guy who is from um, Montebello in Italy is what I understand. But okay. anyway, this real quick Duke, though, this, Meg Stream uh, has written Louis Joseph Papineau. That's right, Louis Joseph. I, I call him Jean Luc, <laughs> but it's Louis Joseph. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for so, that, by the way. And this is a, and thank goodness that we have like, uh, you know, the audience still participating. We want to acknowledge you guys. Listen, you know, uh, if you have any questions for Eugene, come on, yo, hit them up in the question bubble, not necessarily in the comment section, um, but not to interrupt you, my guy, uh, no, please continue. Cool. Yeah, because I haven't been paying attention much to the what's uh, Likewise. Growing. But uh, yeah, uh, so Louis-Joseph uh, Papineau. And um, so, yeah, I, I, when I moved here, I, it was a real estate uh, kind of thing. But since then, I have been delving into history and, you know, not just recent, the, the recent history of Canada, but I, I want to go back to, to the land, you know, and because when, when, when I, traits through the forests here oh and and you know as we all know we're in in a lockdown and covid etc i was in in paris last year and uh, i had to come back to canada because borders were closing etc and so i came back and i quarantined here and at that time last year we didn't know much about this virus and you know even we were trying to wash our groceries and not touch the door handles etc right. so it was pretty heavy duty so i was here and i was worried that you know perhaps 
maybe I had some germs or a virus because I had flown on an airplane and gone through airports, etc. So I quarantined up here. And I didn't go outside because I didn't want to spread any virus. And, you know, there was this weight on me. And so I was doing the dishes one day and I looked out and right behind me, right behind me was there were about uh, six deer. Um, then the next day I was doing the di dishes again, I because I'm facing that way when I do the dishes, there were a bunch of turkeys. And so I grabbed my phone and I started uh, filming the turkeys. And just as I was going to put it down, I saw a dog come into the screen. So instead of continuing to film, I, I thought, I wonder whose dog. And then I realized, no, that's not a dog. That's a fox. Wow. So, so the story. And then, and then the birds in front here, we get all kinds of birds up here. Um, and, and hawks and turkey vultures and, and things, you know. So... So uh, to, to make a long story just a bit longer, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, it occurred to me that the earth was okay. There, there were fox and there were deer and there were turkeys and the birds and the squirrels and the chipmunks and the moles. The earth was okay. It was the humans that were at risk. And we had done this to ourselves. So in a much larger way, I'm, I, I'm, I've been connected. And you know, I'm not there yet, but I'm getting more and more connected with who we are on the planet. Mm. Maybe it sounds a bit, you know, wishy-washy or philosophical. But here, no. my friend... Here, my friends, they go, you know, it's not it's not uh, a, a, a play thing when they go out on their skidoos and go way up north and they shoot deer and ducks and, and bear and they eat it. Yeah, you know, yeah. this is this is part of uh, a cycle with with this part of the land and stuff. So I'm learning a lot. And, and, and you know, what I've also learned and through my travels in terms of learning language, you know, marhaba, kifakya, or sawarika, uh, or namaskar, or whatever these languages are, uh, you know, guten morgen in German. I like to be here and see how, you know, we flip. I'm, I'm learning a bit more French. I, I'm not there yet, but I can I can kind of translate a little bit. I can't speak. But but here's the thing. Communication here is no problem because we choose to want to do that. Mm. Right. And so I'm learning about, you know, this this reaching of a hand forward to to say, hey, I'm here and you're here. You teach me and I will teach you. And you know what? We will get together. We will do things together. Here, it's so funny because um, my friends, they give me deer. You know, Eugene, here's some deer or here's some bear. You know, we, we, <laughs> and, and I've got to tell you this little, another little story. Um, you know, I uh, I had quit drinking um, booze, but when I was, 
and I was sitting at the bar one day, and my friend said, Eugene, uh, uh, you ever been uh, ice fishing? I said, uh, no, no. He said, ah, oh, we take ice fishing. So I, you know, okay, cool, yeah. And, you know, five minutes later, I said, what do you, what do you catch? Like, what, which kind of fish? And he goes, bah, we don't catch fish. We drink beer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Any excuse to get out with the boys. Well, that's it. You know, it's it's learning. It's learning. It's trading experiences. It's it's you know, you've got your your way of doing things, and I've got mine, and we can bring it together, and we can we can have fun with this. And um, absolutely, I think that that's that's really you know, and everything that that I I try to do, I try to bring that kind of focus and feeling with it with me and yeah. things in that lens you know you and i both eugene i mean uh you know here it is i've always said that i've had a skewed view of life in ottawa because it's not in center town you know uh i live in the countryside and much like yourself i've got wild turkeys and deer and uh, all this nature uh around me and it's such a nice change compared to you know being in uh you know, a dense, uh, concrete jungle that is Beirut. Right. Um, mm -hmm. and you did briefly but, mention but the nice part is, is you can go between these things and, and, and seamlessly kind of assimilate the, you know, the planet is ours. The planet is ours. Those borders that we have, these borders that, that we have are created by us. Mm. If, you know, um, one of the uh, things that have, has stayed with me for a long time was, uh, I can't remember which uh, astronaut was asked, uh, what, what was one of the, the most enduring or interesting things that, um, that you consider when you're up in space? And, and, um, the astronaut said, you know, that when you look back at the the Earth, it is a ball. It is a big ball. And it is a fallacy that you can see the Great Wall of China. You can't. Mm. Not, not from that far up. But it is a big ball. And on that ball are a bunch of humans. You know? Yeah. We just go. And we, all those borders. Insignificant. Right. Insignificant. And uh, absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, I, I wish more people shared your views and um, have somewhat, um, I'm just going to say it, like um, a more enlightened and also like... <sighs> a progressive way of thinking in many regards, Eugene, and, and hats off to you for that. Um, you you had briefly mentioned that you had stopped drinking and I'm wondering, um, you know, and maybe you can touch on this um, because we haven't, um, you know, you suffered from a stroke uh, a while back yeah. and I believe that mm -hmm. this may have been a turning point in your life. Can you touch on that a little bit? Like, you know, how, how did that all come to be? What, yeah. what happened? 
I was in uh, Mexico uh, having friends uh, or with friends and we were uh, cooking dinner. We were cooking a lamb um, and uh, drinking lots, uh, wine, beer, whatever, tequila. And I went home that night and the next morning I got up and I kind of fell out of bed. I couldn't, I couldn't go to the bathroom, which is what I was trying to do. So um, I crawled to the bathroom and I crawled back and got back into bed. And I, I thought, wow, this is the worst hangover I've ever had. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, but I kind of blacked out again and uh, I got up later that afternoon and I felt the same way and I crawled back to the bathroom. But then... I phoned my friend and I said, you know, I think there's something wrong. And he said, um, hang on, I'm going to come down and see you. But in the meantime, he phoned the front desk and um, the, they sent the security guard. So when, uh, when the guard came to the door and knocked, again, I crawled to the door. I reached up and I opened it. And the look in the guard's face told me, that I was in much worse shape than I even thought I was. Oh, wow. He picked me up, he took me to the bed, and he, and he said, uh, can I call a doctor for you? And I said, yeah, go right ahead. And he called the doctor. My friend had come by that time. And then the doctor came, and uh, the doctor said, well, you know, I should take you to the hospital and get you checked out. I said, well, I can't, uh, I'm leaving tomorrow because I was leaving tomorrow. My flight was uh, scheduled. And uh, so I don't want to go and get stuck in the hospital. Um, so he said, well, then I can't give you a good um, diagnosis. He said, because you're leaning, it could be vertigo for all I know. And so he prescribed a, a few things for me, which my friend went and got. I took it and I went to bed again. And uh, my friend came and got me the next day. So now a lot of time has passed since right. the stroke. And uh, they put me on a plane, and I came back to Ottawa. And when I got up the next morning, I still felt there's something terribly wrong. So got, when I got to the hospital and the nurse saw me, the first thing she said was, get him upstairs. Again, the nurse knew something that I didn't. And so they took me upstairs and they started treating me for signs of a stroke and uh, stabilized me. But then, uh, and, and, and here's what is really funny, because in the aircraft, there was a young woman that uh, saw me and said, hey, that's Eugene. And I went to the um, flight crew and said, look, if, if he needs any help, I'm a nurse. I'm not a doctor, but, you know, ask. And then she came to me and said, when you go back to Ottawa, go and see the um, Heart Institute at the University of Ottawa. They're the best people. And so that's where I ended up. And then there was this, um, this doctor who said, hey, that's Eugene. So she took a real interest in my case. And it was her advocating for me that helped me because, uh, okay, so now I had been treated for the stroke and stabilized. But she insisted that you don't get a stroke just out of the blue. There has to be a reason for your stroke. 
right. whatever the reason. So she uh, made the effort to um, run all these other tests, etc., to find out why I had the stroke. And they found out the stroke was caused by colon cancer, which I didn't know I had. Oh, my goodness. Now I've been treated for a stroke. And we find out I have colon cancer. So they said, you should stay in the hospital and we should try and see what we can do to cut out the cancerous part. So that's what happened. And they, um, uh, I've been apparently, uh, although I don't know for the last year because of um, not being able to see a doctor, but um, apparently they got it all, the cancer. And um, had I not quit smoking so many years before the stroke, I'd probably be dead now. Mm. I'm very lucky that with the stroke, I didn't lose, um, you know, mobility the, or the, feeling in your face, per, being paralyzed. Hands and I mean, I did, I did lose some, but um, again, they were rooting for me at the hospital, and even the physio person. Uh, said, you know, got to get you, got to get you back into shape and, and would uh, just push me to use the, uh, the walker. Uh, at that point, I thought that I would be using a walker for the rest of my life. So to be able to do this is, is fantastic. Uh, when people ask me, are there any signs of, or I joke about it now, but people were asking, uh, were there any signs of lessening capacity after my stroke. And I said, well, I have microseconds of things. And, and this is true. There are microseconds of when I cannot access a certain word or information. Mm. Although other people have pointed out, Eugene, you're getting old. That's <laughs> <laughs> You're just an old fart. You, you forget. Right, you know? right. So, well, so, no, but it is it is true. There's there's obviously a part where I cannot access a word. Um, I will lose. I will suddenly come to an abrupt stop to try, and I know the word exists, or I know the concept, or the memory exists, but I just can't get to it. Yeah. Um. But in in all these years of of survival past it. I've obviously learned to find other pathways uh, in my brain that have made up. Um, Absolutely. I mean, hey, dude, we've been speaking for two hours and you haven't you had a hiccup uh, not once. You know what I mean? So absolutely. And I'm so glad that, you know, that you were... Um, you know, diagnosed early, you, you caught it on, uh, at the right time, I suppose. And, uh, and you know, exactly. Um, I want to say this before we end though, uh, not that we are, or we aren't, but what I want to say is this is the first interview I've ever given anyone because I, when I pulled away from what I used to do, I, I went down a different path, and now that time has passed, I'm I'm much more comfortable with where who I am, what I am, what where I'm going, and so on and so forth. Um, that, and and I wanted it to be not with the media. Uh, you know, there are 
lots of people who have wanted uh, to to uh, me to come on here and here and there. Um, I felt I the vibe was very good for this, so I wanted to do it. And uh, I've I've over the the last few years I've been um, thinking of um, doing a biography. And I'm not a writer; I'm a talker, as you can tell. Right. So it would have to be it would have to be with someone who can take because I talk in such random pieces and, and uh, I, I don't think they're get, random at all. It's just, you know, it's meandering. Well, they, they, you know, they, they did, they, they don't go this way. They kind of take uh, many routes to right. get to where we're going. You know? And uh, be, because there's so much there, it's as rich and full of stuff. And so, which is you why know, you uh, need to start a podcast. <laughs> you, I will, uh, Eugene, you have no idea. I will do everything I can. I'm sorry. Um, I will do everything I can to equip you with relative ease in something that is like intuitive to you, um, that would enable you to kind of just jump on board. You know, we have this thing that is called social media, uh, obviously archiving. You know, part of the whole idea of the book is that, you know, when, when I look someone, someone, someone asked me, would it be about Zaphods? It can't be only about Zaphods. My life is larger than that. You know, there was Barrymore's, there was Zaphods, the, the, the original one, there was Zaphods too. There was Party Central, there was a the fact I managed a band, there was a the fact that I was a banker, there was a the fact that, you know, here as a little kid in India, to be doing this, I had no clue then that I could be doing this. I had no clue as a little kid in India that I would be sitting, you know, in a place where Pierre Elliott Trudeau slept. I, as a little kid, I didn't know that, you know, where I was looking at the Ottawa River, this was the, this is where Canada, you know, partially was formed through the, this, this, this river connecting with the St. Lawrence and, you know, the Hudson Bay uh, trading and all that. So, so yeah, the story is rich and, and it's full of stuff and, and it's, it's gotten, it's taken so many roots and, um, it's, it's a, I, I am fortunate to be in this headspace and physical space. And I think that there's so much to tell and to, 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 um, just relate and and i think a lot of people can relate to me a lot of people can relate because i didn't come from money or anything i just we we did and you know every time i talk about the things like zaphods and barrymores and and we did it together i didn't do it i might have led certain things but i was a good pipe piper Absolutely. I mean, you, you kind of, uh, parted ways in a very amicable way. Um, in the sense, well, I don't know the in, inside, but the, the, let's put it, the, the big picture basically okay. being that, you know, um, that you leave it up to the city to decide the fate of 
or the continuation that is the legacy of, of Zaphods. Um, right. That in itself. And, and, fair and enough. And what I've said, what I, what, and what I really do feel is that I came into an era and a time and I brought myself and my ideas and, and coalesced a, a lot of other people uh, with me into an era to change and bring us forward. Now it is someone else's. Absolutely. Uh, Passing the torch. So, so I don't I don't interject my views on where things should go or how it should be. That is up for someone else to do it just like most new bands, new artists, new writers do. They interject their own thing into their current milieu. Uh, but but speaking of of podcasts and books and so on and so forth, you know the fact is that that um, that in, in in a book I can probably tell a story of something and and over the years media have asked me can you can you relate some little tidbit of information, some dirty little gossip about something, and you will never hear me gossip about anything um in that sense i i never like uh you know the things we did we did because they were current in in the moment and um people treated me so many bands treated me with respect because i in turn treated them with respect i've got great stories with cesare evora and and um uh, Dick Dale and, uh, and who's Lebanese, uh, by the way. Dick Dale, I know. Yeah, very cool. Not, not a lot of and, people know that, you know. Oh, I knew, I knew because again, <laughs> I, I read his bio and stuff. But uh, Bo Diddley and Burning Spear, and you know, I, I've, I've touched so so many things, and and I'm sure people in the Canadian industry from from. Uh, musicians to other clubs. There, there's this club in in Thunder Bay called Crocs and Rolls. There's a movie actually. Uh, go online. I'll um, check it out and, and find it. Uh, the the story of Crocs and Rolls is is amazing. This guy Frank Lafredo, very much like me, but different mm. uh, because Frank is Frank, and he did up there. He created a community. You know, um, and the community created him, and they all had this brilliant club up in in Thunder Bay called Crocs and Rolls. And almost every band that crisscrossed Canada had to go through there because that's the way you go to Winnipeg or come from Winnipeg to Toronto and stuff. So yeah, we have these uh, great stories to tell uh, about bands, and I'm sure that if I asked Hugh Dillon to spare you know half an hour to chat he would or, or you know many of the people that i've come into contact with i i just i'm not there yet to right i get it but I, uh. I i am exploring the idea of a book okay well and i mean damn that's awesome Mm-hmm. That is that that's awesome. And um again, like I mean, if you want a little bit of encouragement, it's all good. Cause I I mean, I kind of think I got a grip on this. Um 
you know, at least a little bit uh, on Instagram and whatnot. Uh, I'm someone who likes to do something that's easy uh, and just comes like natural, right? Um, Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, Well, let's talk more. This is is chapter one. Chapter one, absolutely. (laughs) In our thing. Exactly. Uh, Eugene, thank you so much, my man, for for taking the time to do this. Um, You know, uh, simply the only reason why I, I would, why I am going to end it on this note is simply that the file will be too large. Well, the file will be too large. I won't be able to upload it onto my, on my platform on Spotify or Apple podcasts through the thing that I'm using, which is free. That's another great thing, you know? Um, but I, I think that after my hundredth episode, I'm going to re, uh, evaluate and and kind of reposition this podcast, which um, you know, thanks to you and all the other amazing guests that I've had on the show, have helped it uh, turn it into what it is. Um, once again, uh, I thank you. I leave it to you to you know, last shukran, parting shukran. words. Uh, shukran, masalama to the audience. Uh, gracias to folks. Uh, you know, it's just. As I said, this is this is just a, a small slice of what I have done with my life. So you know, there there'll be other times and other opportunities to expand on it. But these two hours have gone by so fast. I know. Had a lot. I know and you're such you a so cool much. guy to hang out with, man. I got to, you know what? And, uh, once, uh, you know, once the pandemic is over, uh, whenever the hell that is, you know, you're more than welcome to come through the crib, hang out here on the Ontario side, you know? Um, and, uh, I don't know. We'll, 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 we'll go take some, you know what? We'll go to, have you ever been to Penny's point? Penny's no. So Penny's Point is kind of like much like you're saying along the river. It's one of the landing zones, I guess, uh, back in the day. Um, Yeah, it's a thing. It's a place. It's cool. (laughs) Eugene, have a great day, my man. We'll we'll, we'll catch up soon. All right. Cheers, everyone. Cheers, everybody. Meg, thank you. Bea, Miriam, and I believe Greg, you guys are all awesome. Thank you so much. And there you have it. Stick around, guys, for the next episode. Eugene, have a good one. And yeah, episode 92 was good. Your boy, Lazy Lung, doing it right with an Ottawa icon. And uh, next week, we're going to be continuing to interview some really cool people. I do this every Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I do three podcasts a week because I'm a psychopath. Okay. But um, if you haven't already, like, share, comment, subscribe. Help us grow. Help me grow. I'm asking you all. All right. And uh, have a great weekend, everybody. It's beautiful outside. Peace.